Tom, how do you do with choices? How do I do with choices? Ooh. Yeah, you have to make a choice. Uh, I'm not sure. Actually, I guess I kind of do it pretty naturally. How, why do you ask? You do? You feel natural? Well, there's, a, there's an interesting study. I'd like to tell you about some neuroscientists that aren't from Canada. How would that be for you today? I love it. That would be weird. <laughs> oh, man. It would be weird. In fact, these uh, neuroscientists, Tom, are from the, uh, a, a small school you, you, may have, you may not have heard of, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they're in a, a little place in Cambridge. Okay. The senior researcher Anne Graybeal has discovered that uh, it, it, she had previously discovered the center for where the brain makes choices in rodents. But now they believe they have found how the brain makes choices and assigns those choices to pessimism, the feeling of anxiety that comes with pessimism. How about that? Interesting. I don't get it. Can you please elaborate? I Well, I can try. This is all about av- approach avoidance conflict. It describes situations <laughs> in which people, or in this case, rodents, uh, any mammals, any, you know, <laughs> mammals in general. Wait, real quick, can I butt in? It's funny that you <laughs> are going down this path because when you originally asked me, how do you make choices? My initial yeah. response that I didn't give was, what will make me feel less worse? <laughs> but I thought that was going to be too much of a downer, so I didn't say it. And it sounds Nailed like I might have been right on track. Okay, go ahead. You were right on the money. <laughs> so back to mammals. Yeah. Mammals always have to decide between two options by weighing the positive and the negative aspects of each alternative. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, for you, you're looking at that uh, that next dozen Krispy Kreme donuts, <laughs> and you have to stop yourself and say, "How much worse am I willing to tolerate feeling right. before I eat all of these?" Yep. So Professor Graybeal and her team, they conducted this research and they found the brain circuits responsible for this kind of decision making. Then they uh, found out having to decide in this approach avoidance conflict scenario that introduces significant stress. And there is a key learning here, and it starts in the caudate nucleus. Oh, I know caudate. Oh, God. (laughs) Caudate nucleus. I love saying that. It makes me feel like I actually went to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in the small town of Cambridge. (laughs) They should really make an acronym out of that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In this new study, so they they recreated this scenario where the rodents have to choose by weighing their choices, which is going to make me feel less worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The scientists offered the mice a squirt of juice. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's good. That's a reward. Yep. It's a reward thing. Juice squirt. But they coupled it with an aversive stimulus, oh. a puff of air in the face. So it's like you go to the drive-thru at Krispy Kreme and you say, I'd like those donuts, and then they give you one donut and then punch you in the face. <laughs> yep. Okay? That's a bad Yelp rating. And then they would make you drive around Krispy Kreme and do it again. And sometimes you might get a donut. Sometimes you might just get punched in the face and then drive around and do it again. So this is what these mice have to deal with. They get a squirt of juice, but mostly they get puffs of air in the face. Mm -hmm. And over several trials, the researchers varied the ratio of reward to unpleasant stimuli, punch in the face. And then they gave the rodents the ability to choose whether or not they would like to accept their reward or Tommy's donut or if they want to risk getting the aversive stimulus. 
It's all about cost-benefit analysis. It's all about choices, Tom, yeah. which is going to make you feel like you didn't get punched in the face. <laughs> if the reward of the donut is is more powerful than the unpleasant sensation, you'll choose it. Right. But if it comes with too many punches in the face, you won't. Specifically, in the case of these rodents, they found that they focused much more toward the cost of the unpleasant stimulus than on the value of the reward. They overestimate the cost relative to the benefit. And that is pessimism. Huh. So the donut is not worth the chance. The chance for a donut is not worth the chance for a punch in the face. Exactly. Now, how do you apply this to how you make choices? Mm-hmm. What they have found as they stimulate the, the caudate nucleus to see how it affects decision making and they watch what these rodents are doing and what their brains are doing. They believe they have found a way to affect, to impact how these rodents uh, relate to this overestimation of cost relative to benefit so that they can make the rodents feel better about taking the risks to have to achieve success to get the donut in spite of knowing that there may be a punch in the face. And I thought that was super cool. Yeah. How do they do it? Well, they electrocute. Them. <laughs> Weird. Still, still a lot of work to be done on this area. Of research. I get it. <laughs> I know nothing about it. I turned my thinking on to make sure it's aligned with yours. I'm obviously doubtful how Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. And every week we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out to us. We want to hear the stories of your anxieties. So please send them to somethingstinky at whatsthatsmell.net. Again, somethingstinky at whatsthatsmell.net. And now that that's over with, Pete, with your permission, I would like to go first. Oh, do go on. <laughs> I like that guy. Oh, fucking me well. I don't know who he is. Uh, <laughs> you won't be hearing from him again. Don't worry. <laughs> Pete, you know what's exciting about this season is that we've been asking for anxiety submissions from listeners. And a lot of them were sent in last season. We're still waiting for more. And we have a good one today that I'd like to share, if that's okay with you. Oh, I can't wait. So the anxiety that I'll be sharing today comes from listener, longtime fan, the amazing, talented Mandy Kaplan, who wrote in last season, Hey, guys. So I have a panic attack every time I fill out a birthday card. I think it's because, one, I'm using pen, and two, I feel pressure to be brilliant, funny, poetic, basically literary perfection. I end up making typos that I try to turn into cute doodles, and I shake and I flop sweat, and the same thing happens when I write checks or fill out applications that are not just the check-the-box variety. Help me, Obi-Wans. You're my only hope, Mandy. <laughs> all of those things. All of those things. So I didn't even know it. As you were saying all of this, I actually reached out into my I don't write a lot of stuff. And mm -hmm. I reached out and I picked up a pen and I felt a shiver in the in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. 
Well, Mandy, first and foremost, thanks so much for writing in. And Pete, I did a bunch of research about this topic, and I discovered something interesting. <laughs> no way. It do- no, it turns out Mandy is the only one in the world who has this anxiety. <laughs> So by design, it's both unrelatable and stupid. Better luck next time. <laughs> Listeners, please submit your anxieties to something stinky at... Okay. Hilarious. Okay, of course I'm kidding. I 100% relate to this anxiety. And I love it for how seemingly small it seems, but it's so profound <laughs> in my life and I'm sure other listeners. I present to you graphophobia which is the fear of handwriting. It involves the Latin roots graph, meaning to write, and Phobos, the god of yikes. Before we dive in, Pete, just on a basic level, does this kind of thing, you've already kind of alluded to it, does this affect you? Oh, totally, totally, and in a couple of different ways. And uh, so there's one that, uh, about the handwriting, when I pick up, particularly the permanence of a pen. Pen permanence. Pen permanence, uh, and writing on something like a card, get well, condolences, happy birthday. That's why I don't send out a lot of those things and i'm terrible for it but also that also sounds like a like, terrible card get well right. condolences get happy well, condolences, birthday happy birthday <laughs> jeez louise you really yeah. shove it all in there well i was fired from hallmark long ago so <laughs> the thing for me is that it is they're like mile markers for how terrible my handwriting continues to to get every time i write a word my handwriting gets worse yes <laughs> and it, it's a deterioration that reminds me of i don't know uh, age or whatever sure it's not great i get it and i feel the exact same way um let's break it down really quick uh this is it turns out of course like you just sort of already alluded to it's another phobia that relates to technology uh because typing on a computer the pros of typing on a computer versus writing longhand are obvious Uh, I know for me, I can type way faster than I can write, and I think and talk very fast, probably too fast, and I get hung up on how long it takes my dumb hand to get my brain words out. And then, just like you talked about, and Mandy alluded to, writing in pen with the permanence, pen permanence, it has no backspace key. There's no and erasable pens. You can tell. Shut up, erasable yeah. pens. Come on. Everyone knows what's happening. You're trying too hard, erasable yeah. pens. <laughs> and a lot of times with no backspace key, if I'm writing out a card, I unfortunately write in longhand like I talk, meaning sometimes I get ahead of myself and I'm way down the sentence, but I'm <laughs> thinking about something else and I assume I'll just end up somewhere. And sometimes I just don't. It does not work out. I do that when I'm talking too. Um, Mandy mentioned that she... That's, that's the runway clause, right? You you run out of runway for one of those things, either your yes. hand or your mouth. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then you like hopefully you have a smoke bomb, like something to get you out of that situation. Situation. Uh, I love that Mandy mentioned that she makes mistakes into little doodles because that's adorable. I'm terrible at drawing. So if I write an incorrect word out in longhand, I just like along the runway, just keep going. I just keep writing. You're like like Kevin Spacey's journal in seven. (laughs) Yes, I'm totally John Doe's little uh, (laughs) Etsy page that just keeps going. And I've literally (laughs) written out the phrase, wait, why did I use that word? I meant to say that's a horrible use of ink and time and friendship. (laughs) 
Uh, and I also noticed that at some point in my life, I largely stopped buying individual cards, like birthday cards at stores, and instead now opt for those packs of like 30 pretty but kind of, you know, nondescript cards. Yeah, sort of anodyne kind of floral cards. Or yeah, they don't say happy birthday. Yeah. They just say yeah. design. And then the inside is blank because I'm there's a huge chance I'm going to biff the first one <laughs> and I'm going to have to try again. And I can't go back to Ralph's or... Uh, Hallmark and get the same card over and over again. That's just not cost effective. Uh, so do you have the same kind of thing, it sounds like? I, I do, but it actually triggers a secondary anxiety that I have, Ooh. which is uh, the not just the act of writing and the pen permanence, but the message itself. And that, I think, is something else she says about that. It I is, yeah. I, she's, which you talk about, like, the, the, the need to be, you know, fantastic. And this applies not just when I'm writing, but when I go, you know, you get the Facebook alerts, and it says, hey, this so-and-so had a birthday, and you should totally wish them a happy birthday. And so I go, and I try, and I found over, like, I'm, I'm going to out myself, like, any if i have any friends who cross over that venn diagram of friends you might notice <laughs> that for years everything i said to everybody was the same because i <laughs> ran out of ideas right <laughs> i love you so much all of you the act of me doing any, it might as well just be 5,000 exclamation points. That's how great I feel about you and your birthday. But mostly I say the same thing. And yeah. I need, I, I, because I get paralyzed on birthday wishes. Yeah. I used to dread, I love going to parties and seeing my friends. But at one point, I dreaded being invited to a party because I'd have to write something funny on the Evite <laughs> response. Other people are like, yep, or can't wait. And I'm like, Ugh, um, the history of parties and blah, 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 and all this. Like, nobody cares. Nobody's reading it. Just say yes. But wait, but yeah. Mesopotamian credit cards. <laughs> exactly. I really, I remember my joke that I made once was, I'm so excited for this party, I'm going to take a bunch of Ambien and sleep until it's now. And I thought that was so clever. I did. I wrote that, I think, for a year. And no one cared for it. I didn't win an Evite award or anything. <laughs> Um, Wait, there are Evite Awards? Oh, yeah. You haven't got... Ooh, okay. Well, uh, I did do some actual research, and there are some scientific benefits to writing longhand. Um, some of these might be a little bit obvious, but uh, taking notes... When you're taking notes in class or at a lecture, it increases learning comprehension. They've done a lot of studies on this, and it says that laptop note-takers uh, tend to transcribe lectures verbatim rather than processing information and reframing it in your own words, which means that you're just becoming a robot. You're not actually synthesizing the information. That makes sense. It stimulates the brain because when you're writing in longhand, you're using both sides of your brain, the calculative and the artistic side. So your whole brain lights on fire with learning and passion. Um, and for me, this wasn't in the, the research that I saw, but it's a huge help in memorization for me. Uh, typing something out versus writing it out in longhand. Whenever I have to give a presentation, which I have to do quite a bit for different jobs that I have, I always rewrite the bullet points out in longhand. It just sort of helps cement them in that. Does that do either of those help you in that kind of situation, Pete? Yeah, they do. And and one of the things I found I started doing, and I, I'm one of those really, I, I don't know, I'm one of those people. I have the Apple Pencil with my iPad. 
And one of the things I found that I've started doing more is actually writing in longhand on the iPad. And uh, there's something about that that I find really calming because when I sit down and look at my own script, it looks exactly like my handwriting. It's terrible. It's it's terrible. <laughs> but I find that the act of writing actually does help me. Like when I'm, I sit down and I do some journaling or I sit down and I make some notes for a, for a mm-hmm. show that I'm about to do, I'll do that in longhand and then, you know, we'll stop and, and type up a script that I have to read, for example. But but I always start in longhand in a, in a notes app mm-hmm. uh, that I that I like and th- I find that helps and that's a really recent thing. It's a thing that just sort of reminded me the benefits of as you say processing right. and internalizing what you're trying to do and not just spit it out all over the place as and you're fast smart. as you can. Right, which is how I talk and how I type. Uh, <laughs> I just vomit on the keyboard and I'm like, well, another right. day done. <laughs> you're in good company with that because there are a ton of famous writers who write drafts in longhand, including uh, jo- Joyce Carol Oates, Neil Gaiman, the late Tom Wolfe, and uh, actually Quentin Tarantino always writes his first drafts in longhand. I was actually, when I was working at a company in Hollywood, I got to read some of those when he would first finish them. Um, But that being said, a lot of the all these articles, they're talking about these are taking notes and writing drafts, not the final things designed to be shown to the world like a birthday card. (laughs) So it it still doesn't really solve the anxiety. So my advice uh, to those listening, if you have this kind of anxiety, if you're writing a card or a letter in longhand and you make a mistake, either make the mistake into an adorable doodle like Mandy or do what I do. I keep a little vial of blood on my desk and I sp- <laughs> I splash it on the note and mail it and then I go into hiding because if you think about it the search for my body will be so much more memorable than whatever nonsense I was going to write anyways so uh, blood for the win <laughs> My anxiety is a combination of things this week. It is a combination of a uh, an actual listener uh, suggestion. Oh, okay. It's a throwback to uh, something we talked about last week. Oh, and it is that puts me, I have to say, at some risk, some physiological risk, and it is a new one. Uh, that that I have uh, not talked about. All of these things, like a bouquet wow. of wonderment. It's a real bouillabaisse. Yeah. I might not know what a bouillabaisse mm. is. Okay. I'm thinking maybe not. So it starts with the... the Cornucopia. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still trying to figure <laughs> out that word. Okay. And go. This came in from a listener who just said, in-laws, discuss. <laughs> really broad. Right. That's someone right. just is so done with in-laws. They're just like, I don't even have a thing. Just go. Now, I'm, I'm actually being a little bit disingenuous with the with that in-law thing. It, it was a, a email from a listener who gave me a, a much more to talk about than okay. just in-laws. There's, there's something to talk about. There is anxiety around there and we should talk about it on the show. But this is how I've come back around to in-laws. I was in the car just this weekend mm. with my own in-law, my father-in-law. Okay. Who is fantastic. I really, I'm, I got very lucky with my in-laws. Really, they're delightful people. Love them very much. And they're listeners and, to the show or? <laughs> well, I did. <laughs> is this I for did, real? <laughs> uh, I did surreptitiously subscribe them to the podcast. They don't know it yet, but I picked up their phone and added what's that. But even if it. they weren't listeners, you'd still listeners. say the same thing. <laughs> of course. Okay, good. Of course I would. Look. They're great. Uh, several years ago, 
Uh, I was driving the car with my father-in-law, and I neglected to put on a turn signal. Mm-hmm. And I turned and pulled up the street into my own driveway. And who pulls up behind me, Tom? Who? The police? The fuzz. <laughs> yes. Oh, geez. Into your own yeah. driveway? In my own driveway. So and it was the lamest they, stakeout ever. <laughs> I tried to get out of the car. And the cop said, get back in the car. I said, this is my house. I don't care. (laughs) He had to do the whole thing. The whole thing with the get your license and registration from in the driveway in my own car. (laughs) It was so embarrassing with the cop with the lights in my neighborhood. I live on a cul-de-sac, man. It's a fishbowl. That's cul-de-sac living. That that happened. Now, it's all fine. It's all fine. And it's something we laugh about. But I was enormously embarrassed to have been pulled over in front of my house with my father-in-law in in the car. It was horrifying. It was just horrifying. So for years, there's been great anxiety about that. So I was driving just this weekend with my father-in-law and he starts telling me about, you know, we're talking about health stuff. He's had some bouts of things in the hospital. And Mm -hmm. he said, you know, uh, we were talking about actually uh, anxiety. And he said, you know, at one point I had to go in for... um, a, a, pr- a procedure and i said well what what procedure is that and and this tom is what leads to my anxiety today okay what do you know about the cardiac catheterization Ooh, i know that the word catheter is no good no no yeah. it's no good it's no good at all and this is what my father-in-law had to have here's what happens with a cardiac catheterization or a cardiac cath or a heart cath as they say <laughs> in the biz on the streets. It's a procedure. Yeah, right. <laughs> you don't want a back alley yeah. heart cast. You don't want to see cat. Oh, All right. man. No. Uh, so it, it, it's a procedure to examine how well your heart is working. Mm-hmm. So uh, they need to check blood flow and muscle strength of the actual heart muscle. So they have to insert a small hollow tube. That is the catheter. Mm. It's inserted into a large blood vessel and it mm. leads to your heart and it goes straight up into your heart. Okay. That sounds okay, I guess. <laughs> Do you know where that blood vessel starts? Do you know where that goes? Do you know where that is? Like your neighbor's place? <laughs> Practically. Yeah, where? <laughs> it is. If if your neighbor's place is uh, some sort of a euphemism for your groin, then oh. yes, Tom, it starts in your neighbor's place. Is that what ca- Does catheter always have to do with the bathing suit area? Because that's what I always think of. Boy, it kind of feels like it, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, okay. It's either going, going in the urethra. Yeah, that's the best know, way to do it. Or it's going in the vein into your groin because it's a nice big blood vessel and so oh. they, they stick it in there. Now, I've never had it done, but you you know, I have a history with heart things. Yeah. I have trouble with heart things. And he starts telling me the story of the, the, uh, uh, the cardiac cath. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the passenger seat and I, I swear to you, I'm starting to have a panic attack. <laughs> right he's telling me about how they they have to shave you shave your leg down there and then they they have to they give you a little local anesthetic and then they put a they also have to give you another shot remember within your arm where they have to give you a, a general anesthetic to relax you but you're awake during this whole process why because yeah, they i don't know they need you to, to talk about things so sure. they are doing all this with the x-rays and everything and you're awake and i start like feeling all the blood drained from my face, but I'm trying to play cool. Yeah. I'm trying to play cool because in-laws and sure. I've already, but if I pass out in the car next to my father-in-law, when he's just trying to tell me about a medical procedure that he had going on, I am 
I will never live that down in my head. Wait, and what so, is the police officer doing during this entire conversation? <laughs> <laughs> is he like, guys, no, wrap it up? He's just tailing us. Yeah, no, he's actually in the back seat now, just checking, eating his Krispy Kreme. <laughs> okay. So he's we're, we're talking about this, and I feel the blood start to leave. My, and I feel my heart starting to beat. I can feel my pulse Ooh. in my neck, and I can't say anything. I just cross my arms across my chest in, in the spirit of giving myself a little wee hug. Sure. And I let oh, him keep talking. Oh, no. And it keeps going. They insert the thing into the blood vessel and they push it up <gasps> into the into your into your thingamabob. And uh, and so, um, you know, you're asked not to eat or drink anything, all yep. that. So uh, and then they uh, they make this little needle puncture through your skin <laughs> and they get to the large blood vessel. Can I ask, and then they do they this... use an infant needle? <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, and so they, they put this straw sized <laughs> tube that, that they call a sheath and they insert that into the vessel. And then the doctor uses that sheath as like the gateway Right. That's the that's the rainbow bridge okay. to guide the catheter into your body, into your leg. And then they just they just like push it. It's on a little video screen and they just push it up into your in your thing. So you may feel some pressure, they said. And, and it, it, they, they say you shouldn't feel any pain. But I don't know. I'm going to be so unconscious at that point. Yeah. Uh, if, if I have to do this. Uh, so they also then they place they, they have these instruments sometimes that they place at the edge at the tip of the catheter, like, you know, these little sensors and things to go up into your heart chamber. Now, just just <laughs> sit with that. They're putting a thing in your leg that ends up in your chest and I really struggle with that. Yeah. Oh, God. I've gotten lost in my own apartment building trying to yeah. get from my apartment to my car. <laughs> Let alone from your neighbor's place to your heart. Exactly. Oh, man. And sometimes they have to use the catheter to <clears throat> widen a narrow heart valve opening. That's called a valvuplasty. Oh. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Now, when they take this thing out of you, it's a big ah! blood vessel, right? Why is that when even worse take... to me for some reason? Yeah. The idea of it and taking so, uh, out. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he said they actually have to put in, at least for him, they had to put in like a plug. It was like a cork to, to <laughs> let it start healing. They have to stamp it up. I am now like I'm quivering in the car at this point. As You've called me the about police the back. I am quivering. I've opened the window. I've taken my head off and I'm leaning my head outside the window and, oh. because I just can't. I can't tolerate it. It's too much medical stuff. I'm going to be a hot mess. I don't want to age anymore. I'm done. Oh, that is uh, that is the uh, most horrible thing. So then you have to apply pressure a lot. It, it, you have to keep your legs straight. You can't get out of bed for a day. Uh, your heartbeat and vital signs have to you, you have to watch those because you, you never know what could happen. You've had an outside entity in your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, there may be swelling. In this case, he had an, an allergic reaction to the dye. They use a dye uh, to so they can actually see and isolate different the different chambers of the heart. And he had an allergic reaction, and that was not an great. allergic reaction to the dye. Did they use peanuts? Why? Why? What kind of dye are they? Bees? That sucks. That's already they so horrific. Bees. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a straight into anaphylactic shock. So no, there are. So as you can imagine, I did a little research, Tom. Ah, uh, there's more. Here's what can. Here's what can happen. Uh, damage to blood vessels rarely, says the research, 
the catheter may poke a hole or scrape a blood vessel as it's threaded into the heart. That doesn't sound great. An allergic reaction to the dye that's used during this coronary angiography. That's terrible. (laughs) Organs start to shut down. Your kidney starts to shut down in this case, and uh, and you go into organ failure. That's not great. This seems like they are building a strong case for science to really weigh in on this and say, you know what? Maybe we should just go back to the stethoscope. <laughs> Maybe we should just go back to smallpox and call it a day. <laughs> How about this? A blood a buildup of blood or fluid in the sac that surrounds the heart. What this is that? Fluid can prevent the heart from beating properly. Don't get fluid in your heart sac. That's <laughs> terrible. Oh, God. It's funny because back in pioneer days, it sounds like the worst. But if it's living to 25 or heart sacks and dick bags, I wonder <laughs> if there should, if maybe 25 and out doesn't sound too bad. This is your choice. This is your uh, yeah. adverse reaction choice. You're a mouse. <laughs> you're, it's not right. Krispy Kremes. It's you're going to die at 25 of, of natural causes. And when I say natural causes, you'll be eaten by a bear. <laughs> or you'll live to 90, but you need three cardiac catheterizations in the last 20 years of your life. Yeah. You get to choose which is going to make you feel less worse. That's where we are today. I managed to get out of the car to wrap up the story. I did manage to get out of the car and stumble into the house and into the air conditioning. And I laid down, I kid you not, flat on the floor of my oh, bedroom. Oh, did you really? And let it, and let it pass. It, I was having a straight up panic attack and I had to get out from under it. And uh, that, it, that was mis- the story. So. Thank you to my father-in-law for introducing me to a new process. I did mm. not know I had to look forward to, likely, and uh, yeah. can't wait not to ever do that. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> at all. What are the kind of, I mean, because that sounds horrific, but I know I don't know much about science, and I'm surely not a doctor yet, but uh, what are the risks involved with something? Because going from your neighbor's house all the way into your heart seems like a pretty risky situation. Well, I, okay, so I actually do have a number that's sort of related to that, and, and that is uh, there was some research done uh, uh, in a study called uh, Mortality Related to Cardiac Catheterization and Angiography. Mm-hmm. And so here they are studying uh, over a 14-month period. They studied 53,581 cardiac catheterization, right? Uh, They were consecutively and prospectively reported to the Registry Committee of the Society for Cardiac Angiography. This is a report on PubMed. And in that 14-month period, out of 53,000-plus heart caths, they counted 75 deaths. Okay. 21 of those arrived in the laboratory they call in extremis, right? So their deaths were expected irrespective of catheterization. So 21 Mm -hmm. of those were already injured to the point where they were- Already on their way out. They were already on their way out. 35 of them, a complication involving the heart occurred during the catheterization resulting in death. And 16 of them, catheterization seemed uneventful, but the death occurred suddenly after the procedure, within 10 minutes to 10 hours after the procedure, possibly from an allergic reaction, etc. Of those 16, eight had left the main coronary artery obstruction greater than or equal to 90%. Uh, and so they were already ha- they already had heart issues that were non-trivial, right? They already okay. had massive right. blocks. And so, four were just like pranks. Yeah, yeah. So well, actually, right. <laughs> one of them... 
one of them was the hamburglar and <laughs> we knew that he was on his way out anyway Weird. he just wasn't popular anymore sure i get it <laughs> so there you go i mean it seems like out of that when you look at the ones the, the group that i am most concerned with is the group that actually got it done and finished and they were leaving and then 10 hours later they dropped dead like that's that's it. i mean if you have to have the thing done yeah, but out of fifty three thousand plus uh, things, it's this seems like a uh, reasonably safe thing, and I, I I I can see a world out there where I I could approach this anxiety and move move through it. Yeah, there you go. Have you thought about maybe just getting it done now? <laughs> <laughs> just get it out of the way. It's like a band aid. Like the problem, it's like unwrapping a candy in the theater. Just do it real quick. Get it over, and then you're smooth sailing. <laughs> I'm going to make an appointment for you. I think I have some calls to make. We're going to get you a dick bag and a sack nuts and all of those gross things. Ugh. Gross. Today's podcast was brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Over 180, oh, I'm sure by now, again, it's over 185,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Pete? Well, all I can tell you, Tom, is I know they didn't stop at 180,000 because I found my next listen. It, and I, I have to, I'm qualified this is my next listen. I've only listened to about an hour of it, but I love it and I need to share it with everybody. What when is it? When you're done thinking about your surgeries, when you're <laughs> done thinking about that heart catheterization, when you're done thinking about all of those things, I want you to go listen to Peter Brannon's book, The Ends of the World, Volcanic uh. Apocalypses, Lethal Oceans, and Our Quest to Understand Earth's Past Mass Extinctions. <laughs> I kid you not, this is fantastic. Really? <laughs> yeah. He takes us on a wild ride through the planet's five mass extinctions and in the process offers us a glimpse of our increasingly dangerous future. Oh. The world, listen to this. The world has ended five times. It has been broiled, frozen, poisoned, gassed, smothered, and pelted by asteroids. In the ends of the world, Peter Brannon dives into deep time, exploring Earth's past dead ends and in the process, offers us a glimpse of our possible future. You think heart cats are bad? Just wait. Wait a minute. For when, the ends of the world. When was wait, When was the Earth smothered? Is that like Venus had a pillow? What? How yeah. do you smother a planet? I'll have to. I'll have I to listen to the book. There yet. I'll I have to listen to the book. Yet. All right. Cool. Yes. You should go check it out on Audible. You may want to lay down while you're listening to this. Please don't be operating any heavy machinery. This will freak you out in a number of disturbing ways, but it's great. Again, visit www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast to try that book or another book that won't give you nightmares forever. We don't pay to advertise this show, so we appreciate you sharing it with others you think would be interested. Uh, we are in the heat of season two, but you know what? Those five-star reviews in iTunes and Apple Podcasts really help others to discover the show. So if you like what you've heard, share the love. Give somebody mm. a hug and a podcast. Coming up next week, these coaches can make up to $50 an hour working with kids to be the best at Fortnite. Uh, uh, humanity, I hate you. <laughs> God. What am I taking? I don't know. I don't know. Babe. Wait a minute. These are junior mints. These are... <laughs> I didn't... I knew he wasn't a doctor. <laughs> 
I held it in my mouth for the next five to six minutes. Oh God! For the oh, end. God. For the end of the bus ride home. <laughs> I guess they're probably a little um, not self-explanatory. What's the word? <laughs> Obvious. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool when I can't think of the word obvious. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. Today's tune was Little Picture by Arthur Dove. I'm Tommy Metz the Third. And I'm Pete Wright. Thank you for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell? Smell.